being the worst, episode 12, recorded live, Friday, October 12th, 2012. From beingtheworst.com, it's the Being the Worst podcast. Audio apprenticeships for the aspiring software craftsman. With your hosts, Carrie Street and Renat Abdullah. In this episode, Carrie and Renat introduce application services, domain services they use, and a co-generating DSL tool to help along the way. And now, here are Carrie and Renat. Hey guys, we're back. It's uh, about 10 minutes after the recording of the last episode, so Renat and I have our pleasantries out of the way, and we can jump right into the discussion for this episode. Take it away, man. Okay, uh, once again, uh, one important part of this episode was skipped. It's We had a few technical uh, subtle issues that Kerry was br- bravely able to resolve, and now <laughs> we're proceeding with the episode. Yes. Uh, the idea of this episode is to look at the code that was produced one of the, by one of the developers at Locat uh, during his training. Uh, and this sample code that will be impl- included in being the worst samples, it's an implementation of factory that is slightly more technically advanced. It's capable of being hosted in uh, like production uh, quality application server. However, uh, domain-wise, it's less mature. It's much simpler, and it's uh, missing a lot of the explicit stuff that Kerry was putting in his code. So uh, the homework for this episode would be to take the technical tricks that uh, everybody learned during this uh, episode and apply it to our well-known factory domain model. Uh, So let's start with the most annoying thing that we currently have in our code. It's message contract classes. Currently, we are forced to write uh, the darn thing over and over again. So in this sample, we're already including the DSL helper that is shipped with uh, Lucat SecureS. So if you look in the source project folder, you will see a file called DSL command. You need to look at that from the Explorer. Oh, from Windows Explorer. Start the thing. Start the thing. Got it. And that's going to run in the well, console. While Kerry is looking up for the DCL.tmd, uh, one additional thing that can make this experience slightly more pleasing is to enable uh, mapping between contract classes that we'll discuss, discuss later with uh, C-sharp syntax, which is done by going in Visual Studio menu, uh, clicking Tools, Options, picking the Text Editor node on the left, going for File Extension node, and then typing DDD in Extension text box without dot, uh, picking Microsoft Visual C Sharp as an editor, hitting Add, and then clicking OK. Afterwards, uh, you might need to restart Visual Studio or close an open file, depending on your version of Visual Studio. Cool. And that allows Visual Studio to recognize these .ddd files that we're going to get into in a second. And to confirm what I'm launching, you, it looks like you created the CMD file to launch this thing inside the root of the solution in Windows Explorer, dsl.cmd. Just double-click that, right? Yes. Okay. So uh, it will launch a command process in standard, uh, like in separate mode uh, window. Just keep it there. Okay. Or if you have multiple screens, you can put it on the second screen. Okay. Okay. Uh, and then uh, the DD file that we like the setting that we're setting up right now. It's just uh, some nice thing that allows us to have slightly better syntax coloring. However, it's not essential. So in your uh, in project called domain. Uh, in folder called contracts, uh, you have messages DDD file. Just double click on it. Done. Okay. Well, it uh, should open some text. Yep. Might have the names and language from the same uh, factory domain. Yeah, it's similar. Similar. Yep. But it's a slightly more uh, involved co- uh, syntax that we arrived to at Locad, and this allows us to generate code contract uh, message contracts classes much faster without actually typing them. Uh, in the same solution, you will have messages.cs file. Mm-hmm. And this messages.cs file, it contains nicely written classes with like some inheritance, with all data contract uh, attributes set up, uh, with data member attributes. And these classes are inherently serializable by protobuf or JSON or data contract serializer. What we actually have here is that there is a console process that we started that tracks in the background any change in messages DDD file 
And as soon as message is detected, as soon as we type something and hit control S, this messages.cs file is regenerated automatically by the code. Cool. Uh, so, for example, if you look at first command that we have there, it's produce car. Mm-hmm. If you type like uh, produce cars and hit control S, then immediately in that messages.cs file, you'll have the command renamed as mess produce cars. Yep, and it regenerates the entire file every time, right? And both files are checked in into the source control. I see. Okay, so uh, let's quickly uh, go over syntax. Uh, before we well, get into the syntax, just want to clarify, it looks like the way that the tool works is whatever the name I give to the .ddd file, so messages in this case, that's the name it will use to create the corresponding generated C-sharp code file. And this DSL is to help us write messages, which are commands and events. Yes. Cool. Well, and also it has a few additional small tricks, obviously, uh, discussed later. Uh, before we proceed, some time ago we mentioned I- I- identities. Like identity is a value object that uh, represents unique identity of something. For example, a factory ID. So imagine a real-world production scenario when you have uh, multiple factories to operate. So when you're sending a command called produce car, you need to send this command to the specific factory. Uh, And you can do that by including factory ID inside the command. And when uh, factories are publishing events about something that had happened, they will probably need to include their own identity for the sake of just making sure that people don't confuse a car produced from factory A and from factory B. Mm-hmm. As a general rule of thumb, almost all commands and events that are associated with an aggregate, they bear this identity. So when you have a code deployed somewhere on the server, on the production, you're not just sending a simple produce car command with employee name and car model. You're sending actually a command that also includes the recipient of this command. In this case, it's the aggregate that will carry on the operation, uh, and it's identified by the factory ID. Okay, and that so that's something we will see in production, but in this example, we're not passing that yet, right? Well, we're actually passing that. Okay. Uh, if you look in the messages CS file, mm-hmm. let's start from there. Okay. Or look at the top command, it's produce cars. Okay. It has first property, it's factory ID. Oh, yeah, I got tricked. I was looking at the DDD thing and didn't see it passed, but it's there. The idea here is that since every command at event goes to and from this factory, will bear this factory ID. I'm too lazy to write the damn thing even in the compact form of DDD, so uh, we're just uh, shortening this. Perfect. Also to gain some additional IntelliSense support while writing unit tests, and also to make sure that we are not... Uh, able to send, for example, factory command to, I don't know, to airplane in some other cases. We're inheriting our commands not from I command, but from I command uh, with a strongly typed generic argument. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you go to interfaces, the file interfaces. File interfaces.cs oh, is yeah. in the domain project. Under contracts, right? Yep. Got it. No, it's, uh, outside of this project folder. Got it. Okay, so we have uh, our core interface called iSample message, which is used to ident- uh, easily distinguish or load all message contracts from the assembly. And we have two interfaces derived from that. It's iCommand and iEvent. Uh-huh. Quick note, uh, in some other projects, I've seen people use base abstract class instead of uh, base interface. Uh, it has some additional benefits. It has some drawbacks, it's, but it's not a big deal either way. And then, for example, for our iCommand interface, we have a more detailed generic interfa- interface called iCommand of uh, T-Identity, okay. which binds this iCommand to a property of type iIdentity. So, for example, uh, when you look back to message.cs file, mm-hmm. uh, you see that uh, produce cars it uh, inherits from interface called iCommand of factory ID. Yes. By having a generic argument interface definition or class definition, we're just uh, enabling compiler to do compile time substitution. So in this case, 
our iCommand interface substitutes the generic iIdentity with factory ID, which means that produce cars uh, command, it has to implement factory ID identifier property. Mm -hmm. That's probably was the most complicated and vague definition of a generics in C Sharp. <laughs> so a generic as a language level construct is just a way to create class and interface templates, which are partially filled later. Cool. More specific type definitions. Makes sense. So our generic uh, interface I command, uh, it's interface where we can either pass I identity or more specific class implementing this identity. And compiler will be able to figure this out later and help us to find maybe some uh, compiler tail level problems. And uh, so this identity, we're making sure that uh, our commands and events are inheriting from the strongly typed command, which bears mark with an identity. This will ensure that we're not able to send the command to the wrong factory. This will add str some uh, strongly typed compiler checks. And this also be used later down on to set up, like, for example, aggregate partitioning rules. In the interfaces.cs file, when you're defining the I command of the generic out T identity. What's the out do? It's related with uh, covariance and contravariance. And I think it allows some uh, smarter level substitutions and replacements. For example, when you have uh, I list of I command mm -hmm. that where has uh, T identity substituted, uh, compiler will allow you to convert this I list of uh, I command of, for example, factory ID to pass it as an argument to uh, I list of I command of I identity, uh, which is a basic interface. Oh, okay. Cool. So that's, uh, uh, if I remember it correctly, it's a hint to the compiler to have some additional conversions. Okay. Okay, uh, back to messages DDD. Mm -hmm. So just to uh, provide some highlight to the syntax that we have there. In this syntax, you have a lot of words, keywords, which are similar to C-sharp keywords. However, they are used just for the sake of getting this really nice syntax coloring that Visual Studio will provide us if we treat DDD file as a misshaped C-sharp file. Uh, so namespace keyword in the beginning, it just helps us define the namespace where all contracts classes will be put into. In this case, it's uh, episode 011. Extern keyword, it will define string contract namespace for the classes. So that's a string, and this second 0E011 string will show up in the, within the data contract attribute within the property called namespace. Simpler distinction, you know, for example, what you can do is just to add, uh, to rename the second extern E011 to, for example, contract namespace. Cool. I'm going to do that right now. Hit Ctrl S and then flip over to messages CS. Visual Studio's telling me that something's been changed. I say yes, right? Yes. <laughs> and actually, uh, from this behavior, I sense that you're using Visual Studio 2010. Yes, I have 2012 on the other one, not this one. Why 2012 doesn't do that anymore? Nope. Cool. So what you guys can't see is when I made that change, so in messages.ddd, I changed the extern right next to the extern keyword. They were both E011. I changed extern to contract namespace, hit save, and the tool that's running in my console that we started at the beginning of the episode saw that the file was changed and it regenerated messages.cs and now I see inside of there all the places where E011 was replaced with the string contract namespace. That makes it obvious. So this uh, data contract level uh, namespace definition is just a prefix that will be used, for example, by uh, Locat Secure's environment while serializing uh, the message contracts. And it will, by default, derive contract name as namespace plus class name. If you're using uh, not Locat Secure's serializer, but maybe data contract serializer or some other way, uh, this namespace will be used in the appropriate places to define like some common prefix for names as well. Okay. And the namespace keyword in the, in the DSL only matters for the very first namespace declaration in messages.cs, right? Yes. Okay. 
Okay, the kind of semantic here is that namespace keyword, it defines namespace where uh, contracts will be put into, and extern defines the namespace that is used uh, for external communications by .NET Framework or Local SecureS. Got it. Okay, then by default, we can define commands and events in extremely simple way without uh, using these interface definitions. So, for example, if you type something like out my first message mm -hmm. with two brackets and hit control S, then immediately in messages CS, you'll have your first partial class implemented. So the way I would do that, below, inside of messages.ddd. Uh, below constant definition, you type something like this, like my, my first message. Oh, I didn't see that you had typed to me. Oh, okay, got it. And that, so that's, you don't type that inside of the interface of factory. You just write that by itself. Interface uh, is slightly more uh, involved syntax. We'll uh, discuss it later. Okay. We're starting with the basics. Okay, let me see what happens when I do that. So, guys, I literally, inside of messages.dd, right below that constant thing, I typed in my first message, open print, close print, and hit enter. And then I'm going to, I need to save it, right? Mm -hmm. Switch to messages, yes. Yep. Cool. And I see, yeah, I see that the, the generator started, it gave me a data contract attribute with the namespace equal contract namespace, because that's what I put in for extern, and it began the implementation of the uh, class. Okay, uh, one, uh, one additional step is to add uh, parameters to this message call, or to this method call, it looks like, like a method call, or uh, properties to the message. So basically just add a few arguments. For example, integer age and string hello world, and hit control S. Okay. Uh, and while Kerry is typing, uh, I'll explain that the casing in the parameter names doesn't matter uh, because of the DSL syntax. Uh, will automatically uh, pick the proper cases uh, for the properties and for the constructors. And for those who are interested, this DSL is implemented using uh, Antler tool, which is another tool for language recognition, if I'm not mistaken. It's based on one additional syntax. This tool helps to generate lexers and parsers in multiple languages. One of them is C-sharp. And the generated code is actually used to parse this DSL and then to code generate in real time the C sharp contracts. And this uh, all this code is available within Locket Securus. Cool. And I in fact I did type the in one of my parameters for age, I typed it in all lowercase, and the other one, hello world, I typed in uh, the proper case, you know, uppercase H, uppercase W, and in message.cs the data members the public properties basically were named appropriately, ages, capital A. Okay, so uh, by default, using this uh, extremely simple syntax, uh, you can already generate uh, contracts, uh, commands, and events. If you want to inherit these commands and events, uh, or if you want to provide uh, base interfaces, you can use if syntax. So if you type, for example, if question mark equals I command, and then if exclamation mark equals to I event. Here we're uh, type this before my first message definition. Uh, here we're following the idea that commands are something that is not uncertain. It's our question to the server. It's our request. It's our okay instruction that might be or might not be executed. Uh, and exclamation mark is something that has happened and everybody else has to deal with that. <laughs> and so the and you said to put that before the message definition, right? Above it. Yes. Okay. So uh, this will not do anything, but let's rename my first message in my first command, putting a question, and then hit Control S. So uh, you will have the my first command that uh, became the from the that was transformed from the previously my first message mm. and it's now a command that inherits from i command interface and i don't remember what it was before but without any of those i was inher i was inheriting from nothing right yes cool. exactly okay uh, so if syntax is a shortcut that allows us to define common interface that the messages will inherit from in an extremely short way one symbol 
and I can, uh, looks like, because I see a comment from above, if I want to add comments to my DDD file, I can use the normal slash slash comments, right? Or even a flower boxing there. Okay, and technically at, that, uh, at this uh, level, having this syntax, you can already replace uh, message contracts from the factory sample with much shorter definition. Mm-hmm. However, we have slightly more involved syntax, uh, which lends itself to more complicated scenarios. We'll uh, get back to that later. However, before we get there, one additional syntax that we can already explore is to string definitions. Uh, because when we're having, when we're hand coding our commands, we wrote to string uh, overloads right there. Uh, since our commands are uh, generated by compiler, by this uh, command line tool. If we were to provide two string overloads within this generated messages CS file, they would be immediately lost when DSL tool regenerates the code again. One option is to put these methods in a different file. This is possible because by default DSL tool generates message classes as partial classes, which means that additional methods can be added in a different file as long as you match the name and the namespace. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, this adds at least three lines of code for each overload. So we have a syntax that allows us to define two string statements within one liner. Uh, it uses explicit keyword. So we're being explicit about what command means. So you can type something like explicit and then put in uh, quotes the command definition, or the human-readable command definition. For example, this is my first command with age and text, hello world. And within this uh, command human-readable string, you can refer to the variables by using, I'm not sure how how is it called in English, the squiggly braces. Oh, the curly braces, I guess. So when you when the system generates that, it will replace it will use this explicit statement to generate to string, uh, replacing these uh, parameter names in squigglies by the proper offsets of the parameter of the properties of the message. Okay, uh, that's enough to generate extremely simple commands and to move uh, to simplify factory sample. I just want to double but, check because I was I was sort of pasting and half listening. The explicit keyword in your DSL is the thing that implements the two-string override to give me this pretty output. Yes. Okay. Uh, and also, you probably have noticed that within this compact syntax, you have almost all your entire domain. You can Well, you can have almost all your entire domain on one string. So you tend to have, for example, command and then event. And mm-hmm. they fit on the screen as, many, uh, as well as other commands and events. So this makes high-level overview of domain more readable. And the explicit statement, uh, not only it serves as to-string implementation that will be uh, showing up in domain logs or in audit logs or in unit tests implemented by specifications, it also provides a comment to the exact command in the definition file. Mm -hmm. So explicit keyword is uh, used for rendering the command, and it's also for uh, annotating the command definition in the D file. I see. If I wanted to write a comment in the .dd file to make it show up in messages.cs, there's no way to do that, is there? Uh, currently, there is not. But okay. I was thinking about that at, at some point. Yeah, I don't. It seems like you you don't really need it because you're. I, I would assume in practice you're basically looking at your .dd file. Once you understand this syntax, yeah. you're probably not even looking at the generated class much. Uh, never. Okay. Cool. Well, uh, there are a few small improvements that are possible to reduce friction of the DSL code. It's uh, first to make sure that we can have uh, more complicated syntax within the two string statements, which are expressed by explicit keyword. And second, to make sure that we have commands that are automatically imported into the generated code. But like these were not deal breakers, so I didn't have time to go back into the source code of the DSL to add new grammar, to regenerate the lexer and parser, to recompile the everything, to test, etc., etc. Right. But I know that multiple uh, users of Locat Secure S were actually implement, uh, extending the DSL syntax, so it's not that hard. Okay. Okay. So we're through with the small 
usability improvement that is uh, could happen to a given domain by providing more compact way to express message contracts of uh, commands and events in such a way that they're first generated automatically and second that they're visible on the same screen. One more thing uh, that we can do uh, in order to make this code more capable is to actually start using these commands because before in the previous uh, episode's code we're actually using method calls. We didn't have commands. Mm -hmm. We were saying over and over again that command is equivalent to a method call. Right. So uh, now it's time to bring these uh, concepts together in production-capable way. And this class that brings these concepts together, it's called application service. Uh, application service is a class that is runs within a server, which we wire to server infrastructure in such a way that it accepts uh, incoming commands using almost the same syntax as the syntax we use while passing events to the state. So there are multiple methods that uh, deal with commands, and within these method implementations, we call methods of an aggregate. So if you go into factory application service within this sample, uh, you will see uh, this stuff implemented. In the solution, the dot domain under there, there's application services and another folder called factory, and there is a file factory application service.cs. Okay. Uh, so uh, factory application service, it's just a wire class that is used by the server to bring together dependencies of an aggregate and uh, when, when a command comes in to manage the lifetime of the aggregate, for example, loading it from the event stream, and then pass uh, the command arguments into the method called on an aggregate. So application service class is a class that doesn't hold a lot of logic. It merely serves as a way to bring together aggregate uh, methods on an aggregate, maybe some additional dependencies, and also commands that come to the server. Way before doing that code in such a way, I was actually trying to have command handling methods on an aggregate itself. But this created a lot of additional uh, complexity that was not worth it. We're at this topic. So factory application service is also a point where we're passing additional dependencies, where we can pass additional dependencies to the factory. Uh, in this case, we have a domain service called icar blueprint library. Mm -hmm. Carry will rename it into something else. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, so with, uh, we pass all the dependencies that might be needed uh, by an aggregate into the application service uh, for the constructor. Uh, by default, that's iEventStore, because we need to use EventStore to create an aggregate or to load an aggregate, and also the main services. So there are two concepts out here that bear the name of service. First, there is application service, and there is domain service. Uh, application service is a class that runs within application server, and it accepts commands. It serves commands. Uh, domain service is merely an interface that doesn't have to do anything with the commands, but it hosts some additional functionality that is passed to the aggregate. It's dispatched to the aggregate. Okay. Okay, uh, so if we scroll down for the application service implementation, first we see uh, the dependencies, uh, which are injected for the constructor. Then we see execute method, which uh, does the same dynamic trick to pass command to one of the when methods, where actually messaging infrastructure is wired in. And then we see a method called update. Mm -hmm. This is the method where we just implement once factory lifetime management. So in this method, first we load event stream from event store using ID of the command. So as in previous code, we made sure that our commands are inheriting from some interface. So we're, if we're inheriting factory commands from I command of factory ID, this will ensure that every command has a property called ID, which is factory ID. Mm -hmm. And since we're uh, sure about that, compiler will actually let us use this ID to pass to load event stream method, which will uh, either find an empty stream or will find a already filled, uh, partially filled event stream for this aggregate. Okay. So after we loaded event stream from event store, 
And by the way, while doing that, we have no idea what is the implementation of Event Store. We're dealing just with an interface, domain mm -hmm. service. And in production code, we can use Greg's Event Store, for instance, or extremely simple Event Store from Blockade Securus. Or, as we'll learn in this uh, episode, probably we'll go over an hour again, uh, <laughs> we can host this application service within a unit test infrastructure and pass our in-memory event store that is used for testing. So as long as our event store implements this iEventStore interface, we don't care how it's implemented and we can use multiple way versions of it, different kinds. Absolutely. Cool. Uh, that's one of the reasons why the code, uh, which is implemented according to these guidelines, uh, it can be hosted in various scenarios. I got it. Then uh, the next uh, line, we're instantiating factory state from events. So the first line, and this is again inside the update method, we're looking at the event stream and we load it by ID. So that means in this implementation, every factory aggregate that is identified by its ID has its own event stream? Yes. Okay. Uh, so uh, technically, when we're dealing with event store, usually we have one global event store. And within that event store, we have multiple event streams interleaved. Okay. Uh, and event store will uh, be responsible for managing them, for loading all events belonging to the, event, uh, the same event stream when uh, we're requesting that. Got it. So, uh, in other words, uh, event stream is just a collection of events or uh, messages from the storage that are identified by the same name or by the same key. Yep. So in the previous episodes, if I just had a, a list, because we've been using in-memory lists of events, basically, if I had named that list factory events for aggregate ID 15 and all those things that I put in that list, that's my event stream and this is basically the same thing. Yes. Uh, so uh, in the previous code, we're dealing with only one instance of a factory. Mm -hmm. This code uh, will deal with as many instances of factories as we need. Got it. So uh, we made it slightly more generic. Uh, so the first line is actually loads and fetches an event stream from the store. Well, if, it's, uh, if there are no events, it will fetch an empty event stream. If there are events, it will fetch uh, partial, like some events. Okay. The second, in the second uh, method line, we're instantiating a new factory from this event stream, which internally will enumerate for the events and mutate them. Or as think, uh, what was the name? <laughs> yeah, uh, something like change me because of or something. Change me because of the event, basically. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in third line, we actually instantiate factory aggregate using the uh, passing the state in. Mm -hmm. Then in fourth line, we're executing the action lambda, executing the method call passed to the update method. Wait, so, say that uh, again? <laughs> this update method, it kind of abstracts away the actual method call that we'll be uh, using. You mean on the aggregate itself? Okay. So uh, here we're abstracted away method call so that we can actually use this update method for multiple commands. I see. Yeah, it doesn't even care what the method is. It just knows. Yes. That's a fun thing uh, in C-sharp that's called uh, lambdas. Mm -hmm. And I hear that Java world might finally get uh, access to lambdas in the next major release. And surprisingly, the Lambda syntax will look like exactly like C-sharp. Cool. Uh, and in the final line, we take event stream from an aggregate and we append it to the event store. Because this is the update method. This is how you add new events to the factory's event stream. Uh, yes. Okay. Uh, so the first parameter is uh, ID, uh, ID of an aggregate. So we're updating to the specific stream. Mm -hmm. Second parameter is version of the stream we initially looked up from the event store. So uh, usually the event storage server, it will deny us to update events if somebody else has already uh, updated, changed the event stream since the point in time where we loaded that. Mm -hmm. So uh, this method provides like a concurrency lock. And uh, there are multiple strategies that can handle with uh, concurrent updates. We can, for example, do merges or rebases to, uh, to have a conflict resolution. Uh, however, at this point, we assume that each uh, factory is uh, hosted on a server in such a way that only one thread 
access each aggregate at the same time and there are no concurrent conflicts. Okay. And we're keeping this uh, concurrent check just in case. And the third argument is actually a list of changes from an aggregate. So we're appending events. When we ask an application service to update the event stream of an aggregate, every time we do that, it loads the entire past history of events and then checks the version to make sure we got the right version of the stream and then appends the new event to the end of it and saves it. Yeah. In other words, like the stream version parameter, it tells event store something like, okay, see these events, please append these events to the stream with this ID. Uh, if uh, at the moment of appending, the version of this stream or the, no- the number of events in this stream is exactly this amount. So in other words, these events wasn't modified by somebody else mm-hmm. since the point in time we saw it. Got it. Okay. And so we use this uh, generic update helper method while actually uh, wiring together commands to method calls. So uh, let's skip the produced car method and first uh, go to the assign employee to factory method. So here, whenever a assign employee to factory command comes in, uh, we update an aggregate while calling assign employee to factory with C employee name, which is parameter taken from the command property. Mm-hmm. And implementation of our assign employee to factory method, it's uh, the same as in all the other code. And then this is the place where we can uh, pass additional dependencies that an aggregate might need. It's called double dispatch. Uh, For example, in this technical implementation, when we're producing a car, we made this method into generic method. And actually, this implementation of produce car method is wrong, Uh, but still. Uh, it, it, it is wrong because this method was initially changed to support production of any car, blueprint for which we have in the service that implements iCar blueprint library. So uh, when we try to get a blueprint for the model, we just compare the resulting requirements with the available of, uh, set of parts that we have already in the inventory. And if we have enough parts, we produce the car. However, if you look at the apply method at the very end, uh, it uses parts for the Ford model. Where am I at? I'm lost. Okay, uh, look at factory aggregate class. Oh, the factory aggregate class. Yeah, I was looking at application service. Okay, got it, got it, got it. Okay, and uh, at the very bottom of produce car method, mm-hmm. apply, which creates uh, and applies new event called car produced using the parts that are hard-coded. <laughs> yeah. Got for it. example, if you ask to produce a BMW, uh, it will take cards, uh, car parts uh, for the BMW, but it will produce BMW, but it will somehow take only cards, parts for the 4T model out of the inventory. Right, yeah, the parameters you pass don't matter right now. <laughs> yes. yeah. uh, okay, okay. Uh, so the problem, or well, the correct part of this uh, method is that in this case, we put away the functionality that determines which parts are needed for the car in a separate interface. Mm-hmm. It's called iCar Blueprint Library. And if you go to the definition of that, you will see an interesting notion. This interface has a single method. It's called try get blueprint for model or null. And it takes as a parameter model name, it reduces and it returns car blueprint value object. The interface iCar Blueprint Library, it's uh, in the domain project in the root folder. Yep, got it. Okay, the public interface returns an object of type car blueprint, and then the model name is what you pass in, and it returns this object that's that you've defined inside the interface of car blueprint. Yes. Is that what you normally do? To, if you were doing this uh, implementation, really, do you combine the interface and the class together like that usually? Oh uh, Yes. Okay. Because it's reads more naturally, and these two concepts, they belong together. They are used only together. So, Because the, you said the car is the, blue, is the value object, right? Exactly. exactly yeah, yeah. So, so because it's a value object, when you're doing these value object things, they're only relevant to each other. They're always together. You're always going to use them this way. So, yeah, it makes sense. And while reading, it's obviously you can scatter the code across uh, hundreds of files, mm-hmm. but it makes just for them to be read. 
once again, we prefer to have code that is uh, easy to read yeah. as opposed to the code that is uh, easy to write, but it is impossible to read afterwards. Got it. Okay, so if we go back to our uh, factory aggregate, we have an uh, additional slight improvement there. Uh, it's uh, domain error class. So uh, previously we were throwing some random failures. Right now we're throwing a new type of exception, which is called domain error. And it has uh, an exception message. And it also has an exception key or exception name. An exception name is a hard-coded identifier that is still human-readable, but unlike the exception uh, text, is not likely to change. It is needed to test failures in the code more naturally. Right, and instead of just comparing strings like we did before. Uh, and also one additional point. Since we're publishing events out of the factory, and as we defined earlier that every single event will have to have an uh, identifier of this factory, so every single event will need to pass out as first argument uh, factory ID. Uh, so generally we memorize this factory ID when we instantiate this aggregate. And usually each aggregate has one or maximum two different ways of being instantiated. Uh, in this technical implementation, we called it open factory. That's the almost topmost method of factory aggregate. Yeah, line 25, got it, okay. Uh, so obviously there should be a method at factory application service. Yes, it is. Uh, which uh, accepts command called open factory. Okay. In this case, the command doesn't have anything except for the factory ID. However, in production code, you might have open factory with a factory name. Mm-hmm. And uh, the interesting part here is that at the moment of opening factory, we already know its identity. So we know unique ID for this new factory. Uh, when you're building a system out in the wild, when you, for example, have a UI interface with a button to open a factory, the command that will go from, from this uh, UI button, it will not have a new ID because you never know that. Mm-hmm. So uh, more often than not, you can have two solutions. One solution is to have a command saying open new factory uh, that will land to some other application service, not application service that hosts aggregates with event sourcing. Uh, because application services, they not always use uh, aggregates with event sourcing. Uh, you can have multiple command handlers there. You can have application services that host stateless functionality or that host, I know this sounds strange, but SQL code, or uh, aggregates which are implemented using Hibernate, I mean, which are persist using Hibernate. Mm-hmm. And you can also have uh, application services which uh, get new unique ID. So when they get command called uh, produce new factory, they will get this new ID from some ID generator and then send a new command called open factory, but already with a ID pass within this method. I see. And there are other ways to handle the situation. That was uh, one of the simple ones. Okay. Another way to do that is to, when you want to create factory and when you don't know the ID on the client, uh, you can pass zero ID. And then your uh, application service will know that if we're receiving open factory command with a zero ID or like with some negative ID, then instead of using that to load a stream, first we'll use our domain service providing us with unique identities. Then we use that to generate new identity. And then we use that new identity to, to open a factory. Right now you're just throwing an exception, but inside of that you could say, if it's null, go out to my other special service and give me an ID and just create it. Yes. Uh, okay. So uh, within open factory method, we're passing in the ID for this newly factory. And we're actually checking if the factory ID within the state is null or not. Because we're expected that the factory can be opened only once, at least in this realm. Mm -hmm. So when we open factory, we check for the state ID, if it's null or not. If it's not null already, this means that the factory has already been opened and we throw exception. If it's null, then we apply a method called new factory opened. And when this method occurred on the state, 
will simply assign this factory ID to the ID variable on the state. Got it. That's how it gets its ID in the first place in the state, in the factory aggregate state. Yes. Got it. And then uh, all subsequent commands, they can do two smart things. First, they can check if the factory ID at that point is null or not. Because if factory ID is null, this means that we're actually trying to execute method on factory that doesn't exist yet. Mm -hmm. And second, they can use uh, the state ID while passing out new events. So every event that is published outside of the factory has to bear the identity of the factory that has published it so that the subscribers will know from which factory it, it comes. Oh, I see. Having that said, please keep in mind that something that works, like this identity stuff, that's something that works for LOCAD, but it might not make sense for everybody else, and I've seen mixed response to this hard coding of events. Uh, it works for us because uh, it, it creates some additional synergies and it creates some additional strongly types, strongly typing in the code. Mm -hmm. For example, when you are sending uh, messages between multiple aggregates or between multiple uh, elements within a boundary context or when you are writing specifications. However, if in your code you feel that this identity stuff and generic commands and events, they don't make a lot of sense, feel free to try to skip them. Okay, I don't know the right questions to ask there, like why I would care one way or the other, but we don't need to talk about that right now if you don't want to. <laughs> like I, I'm right. just I'm curious as to why people would be complaining about the approach, and I'm sure it's an implementation or domain-specific decision, so it's probably a longer conversation. Basically, it just adds a bit more of ritual and routine. Okay. We tried to simplify this routine by uh, adding inherent support in DSL. Mm-hmm. Uh, however, this is not always like this doesn't fit everybody's taste. Okay. Uh, okay. So uh, let's look back at our factory applications uh, service. All right. Uh, one of the issues we had before with classes was that it's really boring to type in all this when method classes when when methods, mm -hmm. and sometimes you can miss a, a method. Yeah. And the same is with factory state. Sometimes you can miss uh, handling some event or you can mistype the name of the method and so you, uh, it will not be picked up by the handling code. So we tried to make this uh, automatic and magical. Uh, so in the messages DDD file, we have the keyword called interface. Mm -hmm. So it says interface factory and then in, in parameters it says factory ID ID. Mm -hmm. This says that Within the brackets, we will define commands and events that belong to factory aggregate. And for every single command and event, we will use as first property factory ID. Okay. So this lines that uh, in messages DD file that says interface factory and then in brackets uh, factory ID ID, mm -hmm. it actually says that uh, within this code, we will have commands and events that belong to factory application service, factory aggregate, and factory state. And that every uh, every command and event will have first parameter called factory ID. Okay. I mean, uh, called ID of type factory ID. Mm -hmm. And then you go on defining your command and messages as usual. Oh, wait a second here. So, so to address the problem of forgetting all the things that are in a factory, all those when events, when this can happen, when that can happen, when this command, when this command. By using the DSL's interface keyword, you're just like we would use a normal interface, you basically fail to implement the factory properly if you haven't done all these things. Exactly. Cool. Because if you scroll to the bottom of messages.cs file, you will see two interfaces that are uh, generated immediately and kept updated by the code. First interface is called iFactoryApplicationService. <laughs> And it contains a list of when methods for every single command. Yep. And there is a second interface, which is called iFactoryState, and it contains a list of when methods with every single event. Yep. Uh, and let's actually see how this uh, lends, lends the development for us and makes it more streamlined. So uh, within the factory interface, just for the simplicity's sake, just above the produce car, mm -hmm. Type two commands, 
And well, and I obviously encourage all listeners to do that the same, provided that they have DSL running. Nuke factory. <laughs> okay, we will not uh, bother about implementing a value object to define power of the nuclear bomb. We'll just have an empty command. Nuke factory command and event factory nuked. Okay. So nuke factory question mark parenthesis factory nuked exclamation mark parenthesis. Uh, hit control S and then try to compile. Compilation should fail. And the topic, uh, this syntax is definitely not intuitive because uh, I was the one uh, figuring this out. Uh, and it's overly complicated, so it's extremely easy to make mistakes. Well, it was designed so that making mistakes uh, w- would be easy. This way I would be able to feel myself like a zombie and stupid on more than one occasion every day. <laughs> uh, so if there is an exception, uh, the console tool, it tries to make a different sound, and it also will print the origin of the error in the syntax in the console code. When the listeners see the sample, by default, it'll this whole project will build and run no problem, and when you, we made those changes, it will then fail to build. Yes. Okay. Uh, and then, so this means that we're actually, we since we defined new commands, new language, we need to implement the behaviors for this language. So uh, when you go to factory application service, mm-hmm. if you have Visual Studio IntelliSense or a Sharper, it will highlight the factory application service as invalid. Mm. So in ReSharper, what you can do, uh, you can uh, alt-enter on the error on the class name and hit implement mem- members. And it will actually uh, immediately generate for you empty stub for when new factory method where you just need to write the update. Hmm. And the same is for uh, factory state method, for factory state class, where this uh, state, if you're... Uh, which actually should be inherited from iFactory application state. So yeah. the factory state inherits from uh, iFactory state interface, and it no longer compiles as well because it's missing a method. Mm-hmm. So uh, if you hit on this, uh, if you position the cursor on the red uh, underline under the factory state class name and hit Alt Enter, or uh, also invoked refactoring uh, in ReSharper, which is called implement. Uh, members, it will uh, automatically generate the missing methods for you as well. So did you just say without ReSharper that Visual Studio 2010 and later have a way to do that too? To have it. But uh, generally I thought that people uh, that were using uh, Visual Studio without ReSharper are mighty warriors from the Olymp because they're capable of such great deeds. So apparently you're one of them. Because in my humble opinion, Visual Studio without ReSharper is barely usable. Well, that's because uh, you, you actually write lots of code and I don't. So it, maybe when I actually start building something large and meaningful, I'll, I'll come to that conclusion. <laughs> but I'll look into it. If it's, uh, I, I'm good with the, the tool recommendation. I have no idea how much it costs, but if it's uh, not too bad, I might go for it. No, it's not too bad. Okay. Okay. So... Uh, by defining our commands and events within the interface keyword in the D-Syntax, uh, we uh, automatically get interface implementations in C-sharp code that list these commands and events, uh, and or that list methods with these commands and events. And this ensures that we have a workflow where as soon as we added commands and events to the interface definition, our C-sharp code will immediately stop compiling. Mm-hmm with the help of modern refactoring tools, it becomes dead easy and fast to actually uh, have the stub methods get uh, started. Yep. Okay, uh, apparently at uh, being the worst podcast, we're not only good at solving the problems as we go and being really worse at that, uh, we're also good at not following our own timing guidelines and extending the talking outside of the episode limits. <laughs> so initially when we were starting uh, the episode recording, we planned to cover all the technical details of a slightly improved implementation of factory. However, as it seems that we're only halfway through the code because yep. we also have new and slightly improved specification syntax that I'd love to cover, but we'll do that in the next episode. Sounds good. So we wrapped up application services here pretty much, right? 
Yes. So uh, in this episode, we covered DSL syntax, mm -hmm. which is merely a helper tool to speed up generation of uh, command classes, uh, event classes, in a way that it solves a few serialization issues already uh, from the beginning. Uh, it also generates associated events, uh, state interface, and application service interface in such a way that the code will not compile as, unless we fix that. Mm -hmm. uh, however, this DSL tool is purely optional. Uh, you don't need that if, for some reason, the resulting code doesn't match your guidelines or if you're okay with typing uh, commands and events in these interfaces by hand. Or, for example, if you have a project uh, which started and you are using DSL tool to speed up initial development and modeling, and then at some point, when the code is stable, you can simply throw out the DSL tool, you can throw out the DDD file, and maintain the messages CS manually from now on. Mm -hmm. So a DSL tool is just an optional helper that speeds up generation of uh, contract classes out of the extremely compact syntax. Yep. Then we covered uh, application service concept, uh, which is merely a class that brings together and wires multiple dependencies. It, this class is responsible for accepting commands in our well-known manner. And upon when each command arrives, we load aggregate from event store and then instantiate like both aggregate and state and then execute one or more methods on this aggregate, passing additional dependencies, which are usually domain services, which were passed to the application service through the constructor and which are passed to the aggregate via the method. And I know we we still have a lot to cover, but where, uh, just so if you wanted to treat this particular episode on its own, is it inside program.cs somewhere? Where Where is this factory application service actually getting sent a command? Uh, this is a standalone model. Okay. So the factory application service like is not sent, uh, we don't send commands to it. Okay. We don't have a host server for that. Okay, got it. This is just the concepts. There is no way to, for it to really get a command in this code. There is a concept, and it will be discussed in the second episode. We're actually hosting this application service inside a unit tests. Okay. In our specifications, we're setting up web expectation uh, as a command. Bef like because we were talking about the uh, interexchangeability between commands and method calls, mm -hmm. and we know that command is essentially a method call, plus maybe additional uh, dependencies that are can be injected like domain services. Mm -hmm. So in the new specification framework, new specification syntax, we're setting up these method calls by wiring in commands. Got it. So unit tests, they host mock runtime environment that hosts application services, and we pass commands to the application services there. Cool. Okay, cool. So that's that's the DSL and application services uh, basics, basically. And uh, is there any specific homework for this episode, or should it be deferred to the next episode when we finish talking about the rest of it? Well, actually, the existing uh, the homework right now would be to disable all specifications, or maybe even keep them as they are, and to try migrating first command and event uh, contracts to the DSL syntax. And then uh, try applic uh, implementing uh, application services. Okay, yeah, that would make sense. You could break that up. Take take so take my existing uh, homework that I did for episode seven, basically, and migrate that stuff using the DSL and creating some be the beginnings of application services. Yeah. All right. So, uh, just to sum things up, uh, application service is a helper wrapper class that doesn't have uh, almost any uh, domain behavior. And it merely serves the purpose of making the specific aggregate, well, if we're talking about the application service that hosts aggregates, it makes this aggregate hostable in some server code so that we can send commands to it from remote locations. And this application service can load different aggregates based on the command ID that is passed. Cool. Makes sense. That'll wrap up this one, I think. We're pretty long again, but there's a lot to cover. And in the next episode, we'll finish covering this code uh, and the other additional building blocks. 
But until then, go try to convert all of those uh, methods from the homework into this cool DSL syntax. It's pretty fun, and I really recommend typing into that DDD file and saving and watch it re-auto-generate because it helps you understand the, the few keywords in the DSL much better when you see it just do do the actual C-sharp code that you're familiar with. So it's awesome stuff, Renat. Uh, we'll talk to you guys in the next episode. Uh, take care. Bye-bye. Bye, guys. See ya.